The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. If you have your Bibles, turn to um, Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. And um, so like, I do a lot of hunting. You guys know that. Right? So uh, I'm like, come on, man. Uh, so anything, anyway, when you're out in the field hunting, uh, I, I've, I take a lot of gear with me because I film, and so there's a lot of weight on my back. And um, walking around, <laughs> it's not uncommon to hit something and trip and stumble. And because of the weight, I often, um, I've fallen quite a few times. Now, I've hunted with our associate pastor, and my good friend Shay had it quite a bit. He just laughs at me when I fall, which I don't know what that means about our friendship. Uh, but uh, so I've learned, I've learned with that pack on, like, um, it's just better sometimes to fall down <laughs> instead of trying to catch myself because there's so much weight. But oh, man, it is frustrating. I've ripped clothes uh, walking through and all of a sudden get hung up on an old barbed wire fence and it trips me and I almost fall down or do fall down and look down and my nice camo pants got a big rip in them or a shirt or something, thorns tripping me up and it can be so extremely frustrating Um, and you just get a little bit angry in the moment. And that's how Jesus feels about sin and we're going to look look at that a little bit here in a moment. Um, as we've, we've talked about Revelation, man, there's a whole lot about judgment that's coming upon um, the world as we know it, and, and Jesus will bring judgment upon the world. And we look a lot of, look into to the life of Jesus and what Jesus teaches uh, and how he wants to be in relationship with us, and sometimes we uh, kind of overlook some of these things about judgment, but one of the things he says, um, and again, he when we look at the Lord, this is really important. He's, he's slow to anger. Man, I'm thankful for that uh, because I'm not as slow to anger. A lot of times something will make me angry and I find myself saying things in my head as I talk to myself, imagining myself talking to someone else. And I'm not crazy, okay? You guys do this too, right? Somebody frustrates you and you're just like, and they're like, what am I doing? Like what, like, what if the Lord treated me this way? What if, what if every time I did something and he, he was that way towards me? And he's not. He's slow to anger, right? And he's long-suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish for rejecting him. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. He says this, If anyone causes one of these little ones, and he, again, he's in talking in t- context to little kids coming into the kingdom or coming to him, but it, it, it has implications for all of his spiritual children. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world! because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Okay, so like Jesus is saying, man, there's stuff in the world that's going to cause people to stumble spiritually. And he says, uh, but woe to the person who participates in all of that stuff, and they are responsible for causing people to stumble. 
And that's challenging, man, to stop and think about, that I can be used, or we as humans can be used to participate with the evil that's going on and cause other people to stumble. Um, I know my brother, who's not living any longer, I, I know that there was somebody in his life that was very influential, and I really believe this guy caused my brother to stumble. And boy, that just that makes me angry. And I, I can see what Christ is talking about here is woe to the world, man. Woe to the person. Like he's, man, it's better like a millstone. What is a millstone? It's a giant, heavy object. Generally, um, you know, sometimes women would have smaller ones that they would grind and mill things with. But the one that being referred here is that something would be, you know, drug around by an ox, a big stone, and it would crush the grain. And Jesus says, man, better for one of those to be tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than to cause somebody to stumble. And so we're going to see in Revelation chapter 18, as we looked in chapter 17, we learned about the harlot. And the harlot was um, referred to as uh, Babylon, okay? And Babylon in the Bible always is symbolic of evil. All the way back to Genesis, we see the the founding of the Tower of Babel, people moving away from God. And so the harlot um, is a a world system. Um, It can be evil religion, um, evil, powerful structures in in a political system. Uh, And even the devil himself working behind the scenes and all of that through people to bring about the rejection of the good news of the gospel and who Jesus is that he came to die and forgive humanity of their sins. And so Jesus is like saying, man, woe to anybody who participates in that and makes it easier for other people to fall into sin. So last week in that, we looked at the system and how it functioned, how, how it functions, how it entices people, how you can get intoxicated on the things of the world. So the things of the world, it's not like you go from um, this place of all of a sudden you're just engaged in deep evil. It's a little by little, much like a person who would become inebriated by drinking too much alcohol. They drink a little bit, and then before long you're, you're buzzing a little bit, and then too much, and you're starting to do stupid stuff, okay? And so a person spiritually, that is used to kind of give an idea of what happens spiritually. A person drinks from the cup of Babylon. They get a little bit of a taste of it, and they drink a little more, and they think it's harmless. And before long, they've drunk so much, they become drunk on the cup um, that the harlot holds in her hands, and they're doing very dumb things. And Jesus is like, man, woe to the person who engages in that. And so Revelation 18, so 17 was all about how that, how that system looks and what it's like. Revelation chapter 18 is about the fall of it, okay? So we live, the Bible says that for us as believers, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against forces, of wickedness in heavenly places. It talks about temptation a lot. tells us to take heed lest we do stumble. And so it describes a world in which the believer is going to have struggles spiritually. We're going to have to navigate through some things. And that is all like from the time that Jesus rose from the dead to the time he returns to the planet. We're going to walk through life. Believers through all these ages are going to walk through life and they're going to They're going to have to struggle in this and and live above it. And so when we get to chapter 18, it's about the collapse of all that. And it all collapses and judgment comes upon all of that evil. And again, this is what Jesus is talking about. Woe to that. 
because judgment will fall on every person um, that rejects Jesus as the Messiah. And when that fall happens, man, there's a lot of mourning. And so as we read through this, I'm gonna, that's what we're looking at is like Jesus is returning, judgment is happening, and all these things that cause us to struggle will perish. And we are, and what is being, what is, what is taking place is a recreation of the heavens and the earth. And a new world will be uh, set in place where people don't struggle with sin any longer. But it will be those people who did not reject Jesus during the time where we were going through the struggle. So that's what everything about the church age is about from the time again that Jesus rises from the dead post crucifixion to the time that he returns to the earth coming off sometime in the future. So the world will continue to progressively get worse. And ultimately, this evil system will, will rise, and it will be so oppressive toward the things of Christianity, toward the things of Christ. It will not be oppressive toward all religions. But the Bible teaches us that those who have faith in Christ, it will become more and more oppressive. Why is that? Because a pagan religion is part of the evil system. And so it's not going to oppress itself because this pulls people away from Jesus. And so it will get harder for people to um, believe in Christ because of the consequences that will take place if you are a believer in Christ because of the persecution. Now, this won't be unfamiliar to territory because the church in her infancy came through a time um, where she was severely persecuted. Matter of fact, all of the apostles, the original uh, 12, save uh, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, they were, they were executed for their faith, except for John, who is the writer of the book of Revelation. They were persecuted because they believed in Jesus. And so prior to the return of Christ, things will get really, really bad and dark because this evil system um, that ha is totally anti-God will be in place, <clears throat> and it will be oppressive to God and all of his people, it will turn on itself. We learned about that last week in the end of chapter 17. The political arm of it and the military arm and the religious arm of this system will turn on itself. Jesus will come and he will return or he will cast judgment upon it and it will fall. And so all of the people of the earth, when it falls, when it collapses, they have a response. And that's what chapter 18 um, through 19, uh, the first 10 verses of 19 is about, is about the people's response when all of this fall takes place. And so this is what it says in this vision. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, and he had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. What's that about? Well, the world has become really dark spiritually. And all of a sudden, when this, when this event takes place, light is being revealed to expose people and all of the darkness for what it really is and expose the truth for what it is. And it says, with a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And so people were totally consumed by Babylonianism. And it says that, then I heard a voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, 
so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. So man, here's the judgment. It's like in, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, it's saying that all that she consumed on herself returned back to her. And that would, that would be um, to, to all of those who are a part of her as well. And so as a believer, we're not referring to, to believers. We're not a part of Babylon. We're part of the kingdom of God. So there is the city of Satan and the city of God. Those are the only two alternatives according to the Bible. And so citizens of, this, of the kingdom of God are not a part of her. And there's a call, come out of her. That's what the word says in verses 4 and 5. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not be covered and guilty by her sin. But all of those who are a part of it, man, then in, a, in a moment, in a twinkling, she will be consumed and all that she spent on herself, the, the, the prophecy says, will be poured back upon her. A double portion. It's sort of like the, um, we, we believe spiritually as we walk in, in this life right now that we reap what we sow. And so we're trying to sow into the things uh, of the kingdom. We're trying to sow truth so that we will reap truth. Well, people who are totally um, uh, ignore all of that and live a life apart from Christ and his kingdom, they're consumed with Babylon, and it's saying, man, you're going to reap all of that. And it goes on, and so there are, there are different witnesses to this when this happens, okay? So how do they respond when they see? And so we're looking at an economic and powerful structure that exists on the planet, uh, an empire, if you will, that behind it all is evil and hates God, Okay? And, and, and Christians are trying to live in the midst of this society that has been created. It's a, a society of humanism that is anti-God, anti-God everything. That's why there's such an attack on the Bible today, is that it's not the Word of God. You can't trust it. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. Okay, so it is a spirit of antichrist. That's where we're to be looking for and making sure that we come out of that and we're not a part of that and our lives are according to what the word teaches. And so as that, as that judgment falls, this empire that rises, that is incredibly wealthy, people are living at what we would consider, um, uh, many would consider in the eyes of the world, the good life, lots of success, lots of luxury, lots of, uh, of, of experiences that finances can provide for you. And it says that when the kings of the earth, and this is all those who are in powerful positions, who committed adultery with her. Now, what is the adultery? They're committing adultery on the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. They've been consumed with the creature more than they are the creator. And so they have committed adultery on God himself with Babylon. And they shared in her luxury, see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at, at her torment, they will stand far off and cry. 
Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind of, of um, well, I lost my place, every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. Like all of them. Like, so, you know, there's, 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 a real, there's a real popular ministry around here that says that, that the Bible okays slavery. It does not. It does not, and they use that to try to justify changing something. The Bible never condones slavery. It talks about how to live in a system in which slavery existed, but we can see here clearly that slavery is a part of Babylon. And it says, they will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you, and all your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. And the merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment, and they will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. All of the CEOs, man, who've just becoming incredibly wealthy, Look at the fall of Babylon. They see the, the stock market crashes, all right? Okay, that's kind of what this is saying. The economy falls apart, and everybody who's been making all of this money and living the high life, they know no one's going to buy anything anymore. It's all doomed. And in one moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it comes to a ruin. But it doesn't just impact the, the uh, CEOs. It impacts the trucking industry, too. The sea captain and all who travel by ship and sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. And they say, we, we have no one to deliver our products to. No one's going to be asking for things to be shipped. UPS and FedEx, gone. Amazon, gone. Okay, now I'm not saying this is literally what that's talking about. But it is literally talking about the shipping industry. It is literally saying that when this judgment falls, none of that matters. Because no one's buying anything anymore. Like there's, the economy is meaningless at this point. But then it shifts to heaven. Okay, so now we have, we have all of the people who are a part of Babylon witnessing all of this, and, and they're looking at it and they're going, man, they're mourning over all of this loss. And it says, then a mighty angel picked up a, a boulder the size of a large millstone. Now, where have we heard that? Okay, we go back to what I started with. And he threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of the harpist and musicians, pipers and trumpeteers will never be heard in you again. Bye-bye, SoundCloud, right? No worker or any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. 
The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. See, everything about life that we love, everything about life that we look forward to, all of those things, man, they're gone. Everything that brings some sort of joy to every human being, whether you're a part of the kingdom of Christ or not, gone. It's all over when Babylon falls. And so again, this is the picture that prior to the return of Christ, this is where the world heads. It's not just a picture of where the United States heads. Like we don't even know what, what, what superpower will be in existence at the time this happens. You say, when does this happen? I don't know when it happens. But I can tell you right now that it looks like we're headed closer to, to it than we've ever been. As a matter of fact, I can tell you this with 100% certainty about the end times. We're closer today than we were yesterday, okay? That's, that's all I can tell you. Uh, but, but, but man, I look around and, and, and things are wild, man. These are people, people are, they, they aren't thinking, like just common sense. And so you can go, well, what is, why are people acting this way? How can they be so bankrupt morally, drunk and intoxicated from the cup of Babylon, Okay. And so it all like, boom, when judgment happens on it, it all goes away. And after this, we look at verse 1 of chapter 19, 10 more verses. I heard what sounded like the roar of, great, of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped and God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice from, came from uh, the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And he's like... Heaven erupts in praise when all of this happens. When we read that, we go, why is heaven, like all these people, they seem miserable. So why is heaven erupting? It's not so much about the people who are receiving judgment as it is about the people of God finally being vindicated, finally coming to a place where justice is served. Finally, even for some, like you have to be reminded that there are, there are many people over the centuries who have believed in Jesus, who have perished at the hands of wicked people who were put in place by Babylon, the harlot, and they have suffered for their faith. 
I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter who was crucified upside down for believing in Jesus. The Apostle James was, um, uh, uh, he, he was thrust, a sword was thrust into him because he believed in Jesus. The Apostle Paul had his head cut off with an ax because he believed in Jesus. That's who's shouting in, in heaven is they went to their deathbed preaching the gospel. Stephen was, was stoned to death and he said of the people who were persecuting and stoning him, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. But in this moment, it is a time that he's actually vindicated because he doesn't try to take um, vengeance for himself in that moment. He follows in the uh, uh, example of Christ loving his enemies in that moment. But all of creation erupts in praise when Babylon finally falls. And so we, we look toward that and we go, man, that's part of us. Whether it be um, when we're alive or after we've died, if it's a hundred years into the future or even a thousand, we are a part of that eruption of praise when Babylon finally falls and all is vindicated. And you say, wow, man, what am I supposed to do with all this this week? I just come to get a little bit of a bump this week, man. Wanted to be a, encouraged a little. Well, I hope you are. And I hope you're on the right side of this, right? I would be doing you no favor. My job here is to not um, try to win some kind of popularity contest. My job here is to not try to go, oh, how many people can I get in Overland Park to like me and come to my church? My job is to teach you the truth. My job is to take the word of God and preach from it the good news of the gospel, who God is, who we are as human beings, and how we can walk out our obedience to him. And so as we look at this, this judgment takes place physically in the future. But spiritually, it's already happened. That's what we mean when a person is born again. They receive the spirit of the Lord. The Bible calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. So spiritually, we are redeemed, and the judgment has already fallen on Babylon in our lives. <laughs> the scripture is very plain. It says that, see, everybody believes that they, they like, it doesn't, they can be the most wicked people ever and not have anything to do with a life of sacrifice and belief in Jesus, but they believe they know God. Well, according to scripture, that's not true. It says that we are all enemies of Christ when our sin remains. So every person is guilty before God. No one is innocent. And, and, and so when, when we look at that, we go, well, what do we do with our sin? Our sin must be removed. And so the only way for sin to be removed is for Babylon to be judged in our lives. Because we are citizens of Babylon until we become citizens of the kingdom of Christ. But when we confess Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive him and we recognize there's nothing I can do to solve my sin problem, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then Babylon is judged in my life and she no more reigns and I am set free from my sin. Okay, so I'm no longer lugging around all this bondage on my back, all of this baggage that weighs me down because I am set free and I look at God and God no longer condemns me as guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is the opposite? There is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. So a person who is in Christ no longer 
receives the condemnation of God because God looks at them and sees the covering of their sins. That's what all this stuff about the wedding supper of the Lamb is about. He said, that's why they're shouting in, in heaven. That's why there's hallelujahs over and over and over because it is all about God. God has forgiven me of my sin. Babylon no longer rules over me spiritually. So spiritually, the judgment has already taken place. But physically, it has not. So physically, like spiritually on the cross of Calvary, judgment fell, and the beast was wounded, and he went down, but he came back to power. It looked like all was defeated when Christ uh, had arisen, but we're still dealing with the first coming of, of the Messiah. And so spiritually, he is defeated. He cannot rule over my life. He cannot rule over your life as I walk in the spirit of the Lord, okay? But but he can walk in authority over a person's life who doesn't know him, who doesn't know Jesus. And so uh, it, the evil has an empire itself and walks in authority of the people's lives who don't know Jesus, and those are all the citizens of Babylon. But there's coming a time when Jesus returns to the planet the second time that he will claim the earth for himself, and when he claims it for himself, then physically judgment will fall on Babylon, and she will all be destroyed. And you say, well, why would God destroy all the humans have built? I'm going to give you a second to, to answer that one. Why would he? Why would he destroy all that we have built apart from him? Because it is ungodly. It is evil. It is wicked. And he is preparing the way for everything as it should be as he gave it to us before we screwed it all up. And so the only way that he can fix it is to allow judgment to fall on it to prepare the way for the new heaven and the new earth. And so judgment will come ultimately on the earth physically. The Apostle Paul tells us in talking about this battle that we face in the book of Galatians, he talks about the lust of the flesh. Okay, so when I, when I die to myself so that Christ can live in me, my flesh still remains because the world hasn't been judged physically yet. But spiritually, Christ is awakened in me, and I am awakened and quickened, and I am alive in Christ. And so now I wrestle against my flesh, and I'm supposed to allow the Spirit of God to have rule in my life. <clears throat> this is why we refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you just refer to him as Savior, then you think you can have him as Savior, and it doesn't matter what you do with your flesh. That's, that's unbiblical. If you know him as Lord and Savior, then the Spirit of God helps you to rule over your flesh. Now, does that mean you're perfect? No, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it also doesn't mean that you look like a citizen of Babylon. And that's what the Bible is teaching. So in this context, he talks about what the fruit of the Spirit are. And there's nine different character traits that are, are listed. Love, joy, peace, patience. I won't go through all of them. But then he says this in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we're called to do as we live our lives waiting for the return of Christ or for our time to expire here on the planet. We are to live by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. And this passage of Scripture that is prophetic in its nature teaches us how to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, how does it do that? Well, we can look at all of the character traits of Babylon and know that if I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit, then my life should not be marked by these things. Here's the first one. Be in the world and not of it. Verses 4 and 5 says, my people come out of her. 
come out of her so that you're not stained by her. Well, how do we come out of her and still function in society? Well, we live according to a different set of principles. Well, what are those principles? The principles that God has given us from the Word. And so we follow all that the Word teaches us. And so there is a call on our lives to live, it, live according to the kingdom that is already and not yet. And that is where we get into we live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. And, the t- and, and as we do that, we are walking in the world, but I'm not of the world. And so a person ought to be able to look at my life and go, man, there's something a little reflect- refreshing about the way this guy lives. You, know, you, you go to work, and people ought to look at you and go, man, this guy, he, he functions different than the other people in my life. What, what is going on here? All right? So as, as people look at you, Abby... Amen? That's what they ought to see. As people look at you, Peter, Daniel, they ought to say, man, there is a guy who is living according to a different principle than the rest of the world, and they ought to be able to clearly distinguish this is not a citizen of Babylon. And why is this person living differently? Now, they don't know anything about Babylon. They just know that they recognize something that is different. Why is it different? Because it's not of this world, because the people are keeping in step with the Spirit. And that's how we thrive in this life. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. But all along the way, there are things that are trying to trip us up. And here's one of them. Money exists for you. You don't exist for money. That is so vitally important for you to understand. Um, Babylon is all about money and materialism. Judgment fell, and the citizens of Babylon mourned what? Not their sin. They mourn their loss. Ah, it's all gone. All of my experiences are gone. Disneyland trip, gone. Vacation, gone. Bow hunting, gone. Oh, right? (laughs) But it's the true. It's it's, it's, it's all the experiences, all all the materialistic experiences that are available to us. And so to keep in step with the Spirit, we must have a proper view of money. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil, but it does say the love of money is evil. So to have the proper view of money, just like we have to understand the Sabbath was made for man, man was not made for the Sabbath. We don't try to keep a lot of legalistic rules about the Sabbath. What we understand is that the Sabbath was made to keep us healthy. And we have to understand that money exists for us. We don't exist for money. Why do I keep saying that? Because if you are not careful, you will become a slave to earning more. You will, you will become a slave to how many experiences you can provide your family and think that it means to be a good dad because you can provide experiences for them. That's not what it means to be a good dad. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter how much money you make because money in the economy of God, money is just a tool. It's not about all the experiences you could provide. It's about whether or not you can teach them about the truth. It's about whether or not you can keep in step with the Spirit and they can look at you and go, there's a citizen of the kingdom of God. My dad doesn't look like a citizen of the city of Babylon. I can clearly tell that he is a part of the kingdom of God. And so we have to have a proper um, view of money. And if we don't, man, we will be stumbling all the time. I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus taught um, <laughs> Jesus is so smart. You can write that. You can quote me on that one. This is in Luke 12. 
Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, and this is the key point, but is not rich toward God. What is it what does it mean to keep in, in step with the spirit? Be rich toward God. Don't, don't, don't let your life be consumed by how much you have and how much you can make and how new your car is and how good your clothes look or any of that stuff. Now, am I saying that any of those things are wrong? No, but I'm saying that if you get consumed by them and your life is measured by your possessions, you're doing the very thing that Jesus said your life is not measured by. You're consumed by the materialism and the materialistic experiences that only Babylon can provide and she will fall. And her fall will be mighty, and in a one day, and all those who are consumed by Babylon will mourn, because that's all they have to live on. That's all they have is their experiences. But all of those in heaven continue to proclaim hallelujah, because they know their life does not consist of the possessions uh, they have and the experiences they have encountered in life. And so, money exists for you, you don't exist for money. And remember that. You go, how much is enough? Well, if you're a citizen of Babylon, more. That's it, more. But a citizen of the kingdom goes, man, I've got my health. I, I, I can eat. I can feed myself. I can take care of my basic necessities, and everything else is just a bonus. Now, does that mean that it's, it's bad to have more? No, but it means that it, like you can't be consumed by it, or we'll constantly be tripping and not keeping in step with the Spirit. Here's the second one, or third one. Let the Lord repay. The, the judgment on Babylon is for the sufferings she caused. And we see here how heaven celebrated when judgment came. And celebration, the celebration that we see in heaven is about justice. And so we have to be reminded and remember that um, vengeance belongs to the Lord. I think this one is harder than the one I just talked about. And it's just as hard, okay, to keep in step with the Spirit. We turn to Romans chapter 12, and, and we have this incredible passage about the will of God and, and perfect, pleasing worship. And then when we get to the end of that chapter in verse 17, this is what it teaches us. Do not, like it says, do not. It doesn't say when, when you think people deserve it, you can do this. No, it says do not. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. 
my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's he saying? You see, you don't have to, in all these circumstances where you feel the need to repay somebody who's done something evil toward you with evil. You don't, okay? You just don't. He says, men, let God take care of that and don't you get consumed by it. But we feel the need sometimes when somebody does something wrong, they snap at us, we want to snap back. We're returning evil for evil. And so as citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to be reminded of these things and realize to thrive in Babylon, to be in Babylon and not of Babylon, to be in the world and not of it. When this happens to me, I've got to try to catch myself and go, whoa, am I returning evil for evil right here? And, and I don't want to do that because when I do, then I'm not leaving room for the wrath of God. Again, this is why heaven erupts because all of those believers who have been faithful to walk out this discipline in their lives, and again, we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about principles and we trust God will take care of us. We trust God will defend us. We walk by faith and not by sight. Then we are leaving room for God's wrath. And sometimes I think God will make judgment while we're alive and he will rectify the situation when somebody does us wrong in this life, and some things will happen to us and they won't. I just believe that's the way it goes. Sometimes you may be taken advantage of and somebody does something evil toward you to take advantage of you, and you don't retaliate and try to take advantage of them. It may never be taken care of and resolved until we get into eternity, but that's okay. That's what the hallelujah is all about. It's not so much about the suffering of the other individual. It is a hallelujah from all of the saints who realize that they belong to Christ and Christ shined in them and he fulfilled them in that moment and he poured out spiritual blessings and all of a sudden all of those spiritual blessings that are laid up into heavenly places become physical realities. That's where we're headed. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of Christ as opposed to a part of the city of Babylon. So let the Lord repay to keep in step with the Spirit. Here's the uh, final one. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, in, In verse 7 of chapter 19, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. What is the righteous acts of God's holy people? It is the righteousness of Christ that has been imparted to me. You see, because the things that I'm talking about doing, like loving your enemy, praying for your enemy, caring for those who mean evil for you, like doing that, that is an impossible task to do if you remain a citizen of Babylon. But when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, the scripture says that therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And now the power of God lives in me, and that which was impossible for me to do, those flesh is no longer ruling over me. I'm keeping in step with the spirit, and the righteousness of Christ is imparted in me, and Christ enables me to love my enemy as myself. This is why Jesus said, man, if your right arm causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He was teaching us that it is impossible to live that way unless he does something in us to change us. 
He was showing the Pharisees that the, the, the things they were trying to do to get to God, which again is humanism, I'm gonna build a tower to heaven. You can't build a tower to heaven. Heaven has thrown down a ladder to you and his name is Jesus. And the only way to get there is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness is imparted to us. And when we recognize that, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus comes and he says there was a guy who had a wedding feast and he came in and all the people were gathered around the table and one guy wasn't dressed right. And he said to him, hey, bro, what are you doing in here? You don't have the right clothes on. Out. You don't hear that picture of Jesus talked about very much, do you? I didn't write that. Jesus taught it. It's a parable clearly out of the Gospels. Why is Jesus throwing one guy out of the wedding? Because he is not properly dressed in the righteousness of Christ that covers his sin, and he has no presence being in the royalty of holiness. But when I recognize, man, I'm clothed. I'm clothed. My sin is no more. And I recognize, well, what did I do to, to, to get that clean and that I have no filth, and God doesn't look at me like as a citizen of Babylon. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when I recognize that, it doesn't matter what happens to me on this side of eternity. I can rejoice in the Lord, and Paul says, always rejoice in the Lord. So how do I keep in step with the Lord? Man, I learn to rejoice. We must do that by recognizing and anticipating the wedding of the Lamb. The invitations have been sent. And I have mine, and I hope that you have yours. We're just waiting on the date to be set. And that's why we do communion, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on this first trip to the planet. He died, he shed his blood, he gave his body, and we remember, and we eat with him. And we do this in remembrance of that sacrifice that he made. And he told the apostles in that upper room the night before he was crucified, I will not do this again until I do it with you in my kingdom in the future. The wedding supper of the lamb. Sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I feel like things just didn't work out the way that I want them to. And if I'm not careful, I can quickly begin sliding down a slope where I just feel like I want to sit on the recliner, eat ice cream and Oreos, and watch TV all day. You guys ever feel that way? Well, how do you get out of there? I rejoice in the Lord and go, I got a wedding garment. The invitation has been sent. I don't have to get hung up on this. And no matter how difficult this is for me to function in my flesh, if I'm reminded to walk in the spirit and to keep in step with the spirit, I will rejoice in the Lord, recognizing my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And when Jesus returns and Babylon falls, I'm among all of the created order that says hallelujah to our God. And I can walk through anything in life. And you can too when you're keeping in step with the Spirit. Here's the big idea. Worship God. In verse 10 of chapter 19, John begins to worship the angel. He's caught up. And the angel corrects him in the midst of the vision and reminds him about proper worship. And to worship God properly, we must keep step with the Spirit. When you find yourself getting a little frustrated about your financial situation, just say, I got to keep step. 
When you find yourself feeling like somebody is trying to take advantage of you and you want to retaliate, just tell them, I'm going to step it up, man. I'm going to step it up in this moment. When you find yourself getting down about the things of your experience in this life, just remind yourselves to step it up with the Lord. And you will begin to recognize the Lord starts working in your life in a very special way. Do you want to know why? Because you're doing what he asked you to do. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as walking out in obedience the thing the Lord calls us to do. To worship God, we simply keep in step with the Spirit. And when we keep in step with the Spirit, we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. (laughs) When your mouth gets the best of you, you and your wife are arguing over something, Just step it up in that moment. Just stop. Man, I could step it up right now. Just tell her I'm sorry. My mind's not right. I got to get with the Lord for a moment and revisit the issue. When, when, When you get frustrated, man, about anything in life, like just start stepping it up. Now, are we stepping it up to earn the righteousness of God and the favor of God? No. We're stepping it up because we have it. It's already there. And so we're just acting out what we already have instead of trying to function like the citizens of Babylon so that the citizens of Babylon can look at the citizens of the kingdom of Christ and go, this guy's marriage seems, he seems to be like navigating through things a little better than I am. This woman here, I never hear her talk about her husband the way that I talk about my husband. These kids, are like your, your fellow students are going, man, this guy, he seems like he has a good relationship with his dad and he wants to honor his dad. He doesn't want to rebel. Why does he want to do that? The world, Babylon will tell you that every kid has to rebel. It's just part of teenage years. Not so. It's not true. It's a lie. And the enemy is the father of lies. And so the way we live in victory and thrive in the midst of the Babylon is just step it up, all right? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where's the Lord asking you to step it up in your life? Be encouraged from the word today and go out there this week, man, and just go, I'm going to step it up. Man, I'm going to step it up here. Just start identifying areas in your life, and you will notice the Lord will start bringing about victory and power that you didn't know existed. Heavenly Father, we love you. (laughs) We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word, how it helps us, Lord. It helps us to have rule over our spirits when we listen to you, when we walk with you. Lord, I, w- I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I, I want to be a better pastor to your people, Lord. And I know I can, I can do better. Like, I know that. If I just will stay focused and step it up. And I know your people want the same thing, Lord. And so as a body of believers in this community, Lord, what we would ask you to do is help us step it up. Help us step it up so that we can have that victory just flowing in our lives. And people can see your glory all around us, much like they looked at Moses and saw your glory all around him. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We pray these things in the name of Christ. I'm going to ask you to remain in a spirit of prayer. Listen, if, you, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, 
Maybe today you'd like to do that. Maybe you'd like to talk some more about it. There's a plate at the back. You can put a little, your connection card in the bulletin in there and say, hey man, I'd like to have lunch. Uh, you, can, you can come up to the altar. We like to use the front as an altar if you'd like to pray. Maybe you just need some time in prayer. That's, that's totally appropriate if you want to do that. You want to pray right there where you're sitting as, as Corey leads us in a, in a verse or two, then, then do that. But man, like, don't be afraid to ask someone to walk with you and answer some questions if you have them because that's why we're here. Let's worship together just for a moment. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.